0: Here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this open mic Friday, September the 11th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and because we're still not in the studio, uh, we're doing the programs from home. Uh, We can't get somebody to phone me and ask me questions, but a number of you send me emails, letters, etc. To do that, an email, Law and Gospel at law and gospel one o one dot com all right, let's kind of take a look at letters that have come in. Pastor Baker. I've been following your program for several years now. I've enjoyed reading Heidelberg Disputation, uh, The Book of Concord and law and gospel by cf walther i'm still trying to get my head around the difference between the law and love do they have the same purpose but are just different ways of expressing god's description for our christian life if christ is not the new law giver in the way of moses why does he say a new commandment i give you to love one another Is love simply simply a positive way of saying a negative as used in the commandments? For example, Jesus said all of the commandments are summed up in the verse, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Can love now accomplish what the law was not able to, living a godly life now and in eternity? well let me address some of those questions right now the difference between law and love we we spoke about this to a degree when we were sharing the message that a lot of people are living immoral lives because they love one another and since love is the fulfilling of the law they think That therefore, even though it's immorality, God is not having a problem with it because love is the basis. And we pointed out that there are a number of words in the original Greek and Hebrew for the word love. The one that Jesus uses about loving one another is agape, which means we love people without self-interest. Uh, the way I do a Bible study is I'll take any passage at all. Uh, let's take Mark 10. Rich man comes to Jesus. Uh, what work do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, if, if you read that without understanding law and gospel, you will end up with a conclusion he needs to sell all that he has, gives to the poor, and come and follow me. And that was a teaching of those who were in monasteries because they were saying, we have left everything in the world and we're taking care of the poor. And they thought, therefore, heaven was their home because of that love. C.F.W. Walther also In thesis number 10 of how to confuse law and gospel, he he makes a very clear point that, yes, faith, proper faith, is never apart from acts of love. In other words, once you're justified, then you begin works of sanctification. And that's what Jesus is talking about. The disciples have been forgiven their sins, and Jesus is now saying the new commandment is to love one another without any self-interest involved. Now, the way I like doing a Bible study is I put a piece of paper in front of the people, and there's two columns. The left side column is under the law the right side column, is under the gospel. Well, what am I talking about? I'm talking about a number of verses. For example, Romans six fourteen, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What does that mean? It means For your salvation, you are not under the law, which would mean you believe you're saved by the works you do either prior to faith or once you have faith, the works of sanctification. C.F.W. Walter points out that neither of those works are the cause of your salvation. Instead, the cause of your salvation is the death of Jesus Christ. He died for you from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. There are plenty of verses that talk about being under the law. Uh, the, The verse right after verse 14 of Romans 6, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. It's kind of like saying to your children, you want to remain as my children? Then you better clean your room, cut the lawn, wash the car, take out the garbage, and you give them a whole set of things to do. And if they don't do that, then they will no longer be your children. Well, that's ridiculous, because becoming your children did not occur by any works that they do. It occurred because they were either begotten, born of you and your spouse, or they were adopted. That's what makes them your child. And after they become your child, they do do beginning good works. But are we going to say that those works are the cause of their being your child? No. So the new commandment to love one another, uh, and that's a, a love that God loves you with, for God so loved the world, means that you love people without any self-interest in it. You don't love them in order to get to heaven. You don't love them in order that they will be friends with you. You love them because that is a summary of the commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and your neighbor as your self. So what's the purpose? of the law romans three nineteen. now we know that whatever the law says it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before god that was the task of the forerunner john the baptizer his task was a baptism of repentance He even said, the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so that's really kind of important to understand that people are born with original sin and therefore they believe they are under the law, which means they're under the directions from God to be obedient in order to be saved that really is a curse because nobody can become obedient sufficiently that God will look at them and say, now you have saved yourself. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And in verse 21 of Galatians 4, Paul asks, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Because it's very clear that you have to obey everything in the law in order to be saved by the law and nobody can do that therefore the righteousness that gets you into heaven is not your own righteousness that you merited by obeying the law it's the righteousness given to you by jesus christ a glorious exchange took place when you came to faith you had your sins put on Jesus, and he had his righteousness put on you. So, those who are under the law cannot possibly love with a proper motivation. Their love is often erotic love, coming from the Greek word eros. Or they may have a love because you're a relative. Of Philea from Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. But the love that Jesus commands is quite a different love. It's a new commandment that you love one another as God loves you. Namely, not out of self-interest, but out of the interest of the other. So, That's how I would distinguish law from love that Jesus gives. A uh, second letter kind of criticizes me when I talk about the distinction between historic and saving faith. I often will ask this question. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross, and rose from the dead, will you be saved? And of course, when I'm talking to a group in a congregation or at a seminar, they always give the impression, yes, they will be saved. And I say, no, you won't. Because believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead is not saving faith. It's what we call historic faith. And in Thesis 10 of C.F.W. Walther, he makes a big point of that historic faith as not saving anybody. And, And we know that's true because the unbelieving Pharisees, they had historic faith about Historical events in the Old Testament, and they did not deny that Jesus did miracles. They did not die, deny that he died on the cross. They did not deny that he rose Lazarus from the dead or that he himself rose from the dead. But from their point of view, these were tricks of the devil. Beelzebub. And therefore, they never convinced unbelievers, as unbelievers, that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, in in the letter, why is the resurrection of Christ of such importance and comfort to us? And the letter writer gives four reasons. Christ's resurrection definitely proves, A, that Christ is the Son of God, B, that his doctrine is the truth, C, that God the Father has accepted the sacrifice of his Son for the reconciliation of the world, and D, that all believers shall rise into eternal life. And the letter writer even quotes the catechism. For my redemption is as sure as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity. That's the second article. Now, I don't disagree with what the letter writer is saying. The only difference is in his statement, Christ's resurrection definitely proves. It's that word prove. When something is proved to me, then it is something that I recognize as pointing to something else. For example, I can take a pen and be holding it in my hand about a foot off of the table, and when I let go of the pen, what happens? It falls to the ground. Now, I may not know all the scientific intricacies of gravity, but I do know that there is such a thing which we call gravity. And it is proven to me that gravity forces things to the ground. (laughs) Excuse me. That's proof. That's evidence. But there is no evidence in regard to the resurrection of Christ that proves that Christ is the Son of God unless the person who hears that has faith. What's faith? Faith is trust in the promises of God. Faith is not trust in the historical events. I mean, look at how many people went through the Red Sea when they escaped from Egypt. It it seems to me that that would show that God is almighty, that God can do anything. I don't see how I would ever object to what God wants to do. But when Moses takes a long time on Mount Sinai, what do the people do? They become impatient, and they build a golden calf and worship it well what happened to the evidence that the god who is on the mountain with moses is the only true god the devil is really powerful and therefore apart from faith people will be doing all kinds of things that are not true i believe Not that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, but that he died on the cross for me and he rose from the dead for my justification. Where do I get that information from? I get the conclusion from the Holy Spirit who has given me faith. Now, there's no doubt that... For believers, the resurrection is really, really important because you can't really be a believer and deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's important to understand. That is, resurrection is really what faith clings to. Namely, that he died on the cross for me. And therefore, we look at what Jesus does in a different way than the way the world looks at it. Now, that should be pretty obvious from Jesus' words to the disciples of John the Baptizer. They're coming to Jesus wondering if he's really the Messiah. Now, Jesus has done all kinds of miracles. The lame are walking, the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. So they ask Jesus, are you the one or is there someone else? What does Jesus do? He points to the miracles that he has been doing. Go back and tell John the baptizer that the deaf hear, the blind see, the mute speak, the lame walk. That now becomes historical events that faith clings to to show that Jesus is God. Even when Jesus does a miracle, sometimes the disciples can't figure it out. For example, they're in a boat. It's a big storm. The boat is sinking they wake Jesus up who's asleep. He stands up and says to the wind and the wave, peace, be still. Remember what the reaction of the disciples were? They don't bow down and worship him. They say, who is this man that even the wind and wave obey him? Now, it was a clear teaching at that time, that if you look at the Old Testament, and the wind and the wave are controlled, they're always controlled by God. Now, Moses may put a rod over the Red Sea that divides the waters, but that's because he's following God's command to do that. It's God who opens up the Red Sea. Similarly, when you go to church and you confess your sins, blaming yourself for your sins and not someone else, the pastor says upon this, your confession, I by virtue of my office as a called and ordained servant of the Lord and by his authority, in other words, God has told us to forgive the sins of others. Uh, That occurred, by the way, on the night of the resurrection when Jesus appeared before the disciples. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. Jesus is the one who does the forgiveness. But faith is acknowledges that good news. You can be an unbeliever in a worship service and hear the words of the pastor, and it won't have any effect on you because you don't believe, you don't have faith in the promises of God who forgives your sins. And so I will continue to make a distinction, which our confessions do. If a person only has historic faith, that's not saving faith, because it simply believes the events of the Bible. And many unbelievers in Jesus' day believed the events of the Bible, but not that he was the son of God. And the resurrection did not convince them. But the resurrection convinces believers who have faith. Christ truly is the son of God. For from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that Jesus' doctrine is the truth there's no doubt in our minds that if jesus rose from the dead and he is the son of god then what he teaches is the truth and the fact that he was risen from the dead on easter that means the father has accepted the sacrifice of his son for the reconciliation of the world that is not something a believer will look to and finally that all believers shall rise to eternal life where do we get that from we get that from the promises of the gospel so historic faith all by itself does not save but for the believer the history of the bible is a tremendous comfort and is very, very important. And that's why we're going to be talking about that again on Mondays when we take a look at the readings for the following Sunday. And you will find not only proper distinctions between law and gospel, you will also find the wonderful truths of God's promises. Until Monday, I'm Tom Baker.